pray for Florida and all that's happened down there. Let's, let's just continue, and maybe you can join me in just praying as you would. Lord, we want to lift up those families, that community, and what happened down there in Florida. And Lord, we, as it were, weep with those who weep. Go to school, and, and their whole lives are completely dismantled in yes. many ways. And one day, through this evil, so we are praying and just agreeing together tonight. Yes. Heavenly Father, would you just put a blanket of peace? Yes. God, would you just call your sons and daughters to go and do it, to go and help, to go put some yes. action in there? God, I just pray that your family would come together, the churches would come together, yes. and just wrap them in, in their arms, Lord. God, I pray for the resources that you have yes. to help. I know that money can't buy nothing, but God, I just pray that we'd be able to use those resources the way that we can for counselors, for grief help, Lord. God, I just pray that you would show us how to do our part. We're already we're all the way over here, but Lord, help us to pray fervently. Yes. And not just for Florida, but for the, for our nation, Lord, yes. for this world, Lord. Yes, Lord. Give us a heart that is burdened to help to build your kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, teach us to pray. Yes. Be fervent in our prayers. Yes. Lord, we we are speaking to you who is able to do whether it's Florida or the other side of the globe. You hear our prayers and you called us to pray and we intercede as we do tonight right from this little building here in Kent for what's going on in that whole thing that's happening there in Florida. So, Lord, we thank you again that you are good and gracious, that, Lord, you are wanting to draw people to you for eternal life. We pray even here tonight. Again, the need we have for you, there's no way to escape that. We need you. We love you. We pray, Lord, that we, our lives would glorify you. Even tonight as we get in the word now and as we're looking at your truth, Lord, I'm talking about living lives of truth. Help us, Lord, to abide in you and to receive from you and respond to you, hear from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you. So we're going to be in, in Acts chapter 5. So if one of you turn there, I'm going to read the first. I'm going to go to actually back to chapter 4, verse 32 to pick up this story because it really is segued into chapter 5 from chapter 4. So Acts 4, 32, I'm going to read from there through Acts 5.11. So Acts 4.32, you there? Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as, everyone, as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I'm certain of that. <laughs> and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, 
The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. So, Lord, the things I prepared now by your Holy Spirit, we want to pray always before we get in your word, we're reading your word, that you by your spirit would teach us all things, bring to remembrance the things you've commanded us, give us ears to hear, I pray tonight. Break fresh the things I prepared, feed us tonight, Lord, we're hungry. We know that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We also know, Lord, that you tell us in your word to not be hearers of the word only, but doers. So however you're instructing us tonight, give us ears to hear, to receive the truth that we might be transformed and changed by it. Sanctify us tonight, Lord, I pray. This little room we're in, may it be a refuge right now where we can just, you know, hear the word and respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this whole first section of the book of Acts, we're going through one a week, as you know, and I hope you're reading ahead. That's our whole, whole uh, kind of focus is that you're going to read for next week, chapter 6. I hope you had some time to read chapter 5. I'm going to kind of go over it with a few things that spoke to my heart on it. I'm sure the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you too, as he always does. So this first eight chapters, I've titled it Hearing and Responding. We've talked about waiting with great anticipation, chapter 1. Hearing from our wonderful God, giving what you have, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Being bold to speak up for God. We talked about that last week. And this now taken, takes us into chapter 5, which I've entitled, Living a Life of Truth. There is a contrast before us in this chapter. It's Barnabas, verses four, in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, in contrast with Ananias and Sapphira. It's honesty in contrast with dishonesty. It's sincerity in contrast with hypocrisy. So how do I live a life of truth? How do I live a life of honesty and sincerity and avoid the disastrous life of dishonesty and hypocrisy? How do I do that? In his book, Integrity, Ted Engstrom told this story. For Coach Cleveland Stroud and the Bill Bulldogs of Rockland County High School in Georgia, 1991 was their championship season. They accumulated 21 wins and five losses on the way to the Georgia Boys Basketball Tournament. There, they had a dramatic comfort behind victory in the state finals. But now, the new glass trophy case outside the high school gymnasium is bare. Earlier this month, the Georgia High School Association deprived Rockdale County of the championship after school officials admitted a mistake. A player who was ineligible due to load grades had played 45 seconds in the first of the school's five postseason games. We didn't know he was ineligible at the time. We didn't know it until a few weeks ago, Mr. Stroud said. Some people have said we should have just kept quiet about it, that it was just 45 seconds and the player wasn't an impact player. But you've got to do what's honest and right and what the rules say. I told my team that people forget the scores of basketball games. They don't ever forget what you're made of, unquote. Can you say amen to that? Now, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the NCAA right now is going through some pretty dramatic things as far as all the corruption behind the scenes there. And so this thing is supposedly going to be coming out now. It, what we don't want to do is be leading a duplicity life. We want to be the real deal. Can you say, would you agree? I know that you do. We, nobody wants to be leading a double life. We want to be the real deal because that is where the freedom is. We can enjoy not only who we are, but we can enjoy other people because we're not hiding. So, Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells the story of an English pastor who got on the trolley Monday morning to go back to his downtown study. He paid his fare, and the trolley driver gave him too much change. The pastor sat down and fumbled the change and looked it over and counted, counted eight or nine times and said to himself, Praise the Lord, it's wonderful how God provides. He realized he was tight that week, and this was just about what he would need to break even, or at least enough for his lunch. He wrestled with himself all the way downtown, and by the time the trolley pulled over to his stop, he couldn't live with himself anymore. He walked up to the trolley driver and said, Here, you gave me too much change. You made a mistake. 
The driver said, no, it was no mistake. You see, I was in your church last night when you spoke on honesty, and I thought I'd put you to the test. <laughs> now, would you have passed the test? <laughs> That's the question. This passage reminds us that there is a spiritual battle going on for the truth. The early church had exploded. In just two sermons, 8,000 people were added to the church. Wouldn't I love that? Wouldn't we love that? Satan always opposes the work of God continuously. Did, he does not like when these things are happening. The truth is going out and people are responding to that, hearing it and responding and coming into relationship with Christ. When he cannot defeat the church externally, he goes internal. If he can't conquer outwardly, his strategy is to corrupt the church inwardly. It reminds us of that. Secondly, it reminds us that there are no perfect churches. May I say to you, as long as I'm attending this church, it will never be perfect. As long as you're attending, it will never be perfect. It's interesting in verse 5 and 11. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came on all those who heard these things. Verse 11. Great fear came upon all the church and all those who heard these things. In other words, many Christians have secrets that are hidden. So as they're seeing this happen, lying to the Holy Spirit, the fact that fear ran through the churches indicates that others were feeling pretty guilty too. The believers were not a society of perfect people, and we are not a society of perfect people. I was going to say the perfect people eaters. Somehow that's... There are no perfect churches. So it reminds us of that. The early church was not perfect. The story reminds us also that God calls us to a higher calling. God was preserving the honesty and integrity of the newborn church, just as he did when the children of Israel were, were, went out of Egypt and they were going into the promised land. Brand new adventure. And Achan had this hypocrisy in his heart. And God dealt with that very severely, as this is really a severe work of God in the early church. This story also reminds us that God takes sin seriously. If we want to know how seriously God takes sin, we just need to look at the cross. I love that song, by the way, that we sang tonight. It was awesome. Now, some criticize Peter for being too harsh. May I say to you, sometimes the truth is harsh. Peter was given insight, some kind of word of knowledge, and he was literally dead right. What do you have to say? And how God dealt with that. Does God work this way today? Well, whether he does or not, one thing is certain. We dare not remove these verses from the Bible. Because God has given us his word as warnings that we don't follow the same example. That we learn from those things. So how do I live a life of truth? How can I live a life of honesty and sincerity and avoid the disastrous life of dishonesty and hypocrisy? Three truths about living life that this passage exposes. We'll give them to you individually as we get to them. The first one is, here's the truth about life. I want to keep more for me than I'm willing to admit. I want to keep more for me than I'm willing to admit. Secondly, I want to be seen as more than I really am. I want to be seen as more than I really am. The third thing in my, as I was studying, I do not want to deal with any more than I have to. I'm happy to not have to deal with suffering, pain, or the truth. Abraham Lincoln was running the country. He had lots of chances to make shady deals and enhance himself financially. But this is what he said about his presidency. He said, quote, I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be down inside me. Oh, well, if that were true in our political arena today. I want to keep more for me than I'm willing to admit. That's what the problem is here. It's a heart issue. 
They really wanted more than they were willing to admit. The problem was in the heart of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. You see, in their hearts, they were deceitful. That's what was going on. They were not just guilty of simple miscalculations, but of premeditated deception to create the impression that there was something that they were not. In other words, they were not Barnabas, and that's the contrast. Were they selfish? Yes, they were, but not so much because they wanted to keep some of their proceeds. Peter makes that clear. It was theirs. They could do with what they wanted. Theirs was the selfishness of dishonesty and deceit. There are, these are the things that think nothing of what that does to other people. To lie while looking someone in the eye is one of the most selfish things that we can ever do. It's one of the things that probably the top one on my list as a, as a dad with my kids. To know that they just looked me in the eye and they, they lied to me. You see, in their hearts they were deceitful. And that leads to their hearts deceiving them. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what Jeremiah tells us. Every heart is, is susceptible to deceiving itself, yours and mine included. Even Peter and Barnabas got caught up in this whole thing of hypocrisy. Paul talks about that in Galatians. So they go down there. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him. This is Paul to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. It can happen to anybody. So they're eating with the Gentiles, but then the, the, you know, the leaders from Jerusalem could not say, oh, well, we're not going to eat with the Gentiles. And they're playing the hypocrite. I say, Lord, help me. Ephesians 4.25 says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each speak truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It hurts relationships. It's undermining trust and many other things. A deceitful heart, Proverbs 17.20, he who has a deceitful heart finds no good. There's nothing good about a deceived heart, a deceitful heart. He says, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. A deceitful heart is going to bring perversity to the tongue. Jacob's son deceived father, their father about Joseph, and they live with that guilt. They themselves found out that guilt and their, of their sin, and they live with that for many, many years. Pharaoh dealt deceitfully with Moses, and he found out that when he was doing that, his heart grew harder and harder to the Lord. Gehazi dealt deceitfully with his master, Elisha, and he found out it ruined his life, physically but also spiritually. Listen, you know this, I know that, this. They never deceive God, ever. Not for a microsecond. Together they lied to the Holy Spirit and to God. Peter's saying, don't you realize that God knows your heart, and that God was listening while you were in the planning meeting? That he hears it. He knows those things. Not, we're never going to deceive God. You can fool some of the people all the time, all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And may I add, you can't fool God at any time. Just foundational to understand, how am I going to live a life of truth? God hears and knows my heart completely and perfectly. He knows all the things that are going on. So three truths about living life that is from this passage. Number one, I want to keep more for me than I'm willing to admit. Now, what's the answer to that? Speak the truth into your heart and out of your mouth. Speak the truth into your heart and out of your mouth. If I don't lie to God, I'll have the truth in my heart to not lie to people, if I understand that. Now, as a believer, before I ever lie to someone with my mouth, 
I have already lied to God in my heart. That's for a believer. Not perfectly. If I don't lie to God, I'll, I'll have the truth in my heart to not lie to people. But that's not perfect. But certainly it's progressive. You see, I'll make progress and grow if I don't lie to people and don't lie to God. I will make progress and I will grow. It's not perfect. But as just a human being, before I lie to someone with my mouth, I've already lied to myself in my heart. That's what, that's what happens. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So if I don't lie to myself, I will overcome the temptation to lie to others. Not perfectly, but certainly progressively. In other words, I'll make progress and grow in living a life of truth. That's what happens. So here they have this plan to make themselves look more generous than they really were. The truth is, eventually, they were and we will be found out for who and what we really are. Eventually, people find out. Our family is the first to see through us. Over time, those at work, our neighbors, those at church, will eventually see through the veneer and see who we really are and what we're really made of. That's what happens. So again, another admonition, let's begin to build into our lives to speak the truth to our, into our hearts and out of our mouths. First Peter says this, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. God is the great coverer of our sins. None can compare. Would you say amen? None can compare. But here's the thought that came to my mind. There are many others who love us deeply. Many others. God loves us perfectly, but many others love us deeply. And as like us for those that we love, so they for us. Those who love us want us to be able to come out of hiding. They want that for us. They want us to live free of the facades because they see it. They want us to enjoy life by living life a life of truth and honesty and humility before them and others. But listen, here's what happens. When I'm living a life of truth, I began to enjoy my life more. And others begin to enjoy me more. And together, life becomes something that's on a whole nother plane when there is honesty and truthfulness and not hiding. I've never met anyone who likes to admit they were wrong. But to live a life of truth, we have no other option to admit it when we are. If we're going to live in the truth. We know from personal experience that those who are willing to be honest with themselves, those who are willing to come clean, they are the very ones whose lives are transformed to become someone they never thought they would be. Why is that? Deceit. Dishonesty and hypocrisy are the enemies of true character, trust, and love. They're the enemies of that. Because these things destroy a person's ability to believe something for themselves because they know they're living a lie. And that's there. It's, it's, the, it's what's going to be creating the whole direction. These things of dishonesty and deceit and hypocrisy... Destroy a person's ability to grow up, to build relationships, and to grow old with meaning and purpose and hope. It, the trajectory changes completely when there's honesty and humility and transparency. These things, let me read it again. These things destroy a person's ability, first of all, to grow up. Secondly, to build relationships. And third, to grow old with meaning and purpose and hope. And is that not what we want? 
We want our lives to be going along that path of truth and sincerity and honesty. So as we grow old, there's deeper meaning. There's purpose that remains. And there's hope always that God is going to be taking me into deeper places with people and with him. A distraught senior citizen phoned her doctor's office. Is it true, she wanted to know, that the medication you prescribed has to be taken for the rest of my life? Yes, I'm afraid so, the doctor told her. There was a moment of silence before the senior lady replied, I'm wondering then, just how serious is my condition because the prescription is marked no refills? <laughs> hey, listen. May I encourage you, exhort you, admonish you. What we want is a life that's lived in the truth. That's where there's freedom. That's where there's meaningful relationships. That's where there's trust. That's where there's genuine love. And so as for you, so for me, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God answered that. I, the Lord, test the hearts. God knows our hearts. That's why we need a relationship with God. If we're going to really know the truth and the depths of what that can mean in our lives. I know that without a relationship with God, who alone knows my heart, the depth to which his love can take me and set me free will be less experienced without him. In fact, never experienced to, one, to a certain degree. That's why Proverbs 4, my son, God's saying, Solomon to his son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Interesting, next verse, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. You see, it's something that we're deciding along the way. So speak the truth into your heart. Psalm 19 is a tremendous passage on this. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord, and that speaks of all his word, the law of the Lord, all his word is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord, which speaks of his presence, is sure, making wise the simple. You know, we have God with us in his presence. The testimony he has in our lives it's sure. It makes wise the simple. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord, which are really his prohibitions. We need those prohibitions. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, when I realize that God so loves me and he's given me these prohibitions for my sake, not to prove anything to him, he knows. He gives those, those fences of love so that we can enjoy life to the fullest, right out to the extent of all the boundaries he's put up. They are fences of love so that his prohibitions for me are right and good, and rejoice the heart. Thank you, God. The commandment of the Lord, which are his principles, is pure, enlightening the eyes. If we live our lives in principles, according to the principles of God's word, it says they're, they're, they're pure. They enlighten the eye. I see it now. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord, which is his purpose, is clean, enduring forever. His purposes for our lives, it's clean and endures forever. The fear of the Lord is, is his purpose. The judgment of the Lord, now this is interesting to me as I study this out. The, the judgment of the Lord are his processes. It's making, this is what we need to do. His processes are true and righteous all together. God knows how to take us through the processes needed for our lives to be walking in the truth. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So he goes on in, verse, in, chapter, in Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. He continues. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of the great transgressions. No, notice the same thing as we read just earlier. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He gets down to the mouth and the heart of the matter. Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden where? In my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to speak the truth into our hearts. His word, his statutes, his judgments. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between joints and marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart and is a discerner of those things. God's given to us his word to show us what's going on in our heart. Show us our motives, show us our thoughts, clear it up for us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for what? For doctrine. That is what is straight. For reproof, that means what is crooked. For correction, how to make what is crooked straight. And for instruction in righteousness, how to keep what is straight straight. That's the word of God. That the man of God, he goes on, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I know that we hear this all the time. But I know that I need it, and you need to hear once. And let the word of God be spoken into my heart. May God speak his word into my heart. And then speak the truth out of your mouth. What does that mean? It's different now. If we're going to walk in the truth. First, the first big difference, the necessary difference, is that the first thing that comes out of my mouth at some point is I'm confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the first thing needed if we're going to understand what it means to know the depths of walking in the truth, that I have received Christ as my Savior. That's the first confession, the first thing needed to come out of my mouth. I need to proclaim the gospel, as we talked about last week, being bold to speak up for God. It changes if I'm walking in the truth, living a life of truth. There needs to be sacrificial praising and thanksgiving of God. There needs to be prayer that's coming out of my mouth if we're going to walk in the truth. There needs to be personal confession. If we confess what? Our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So when there is lying, when there is hypocrisy, when there is deceitfulness, I had an experience one time as many years back when I was at, uh, with Calvary Fellowship and I had a cabinet business in one of the parts of this old school that was, was, was part of the church. And I was in my cabinet and when I'm working, I, you know, I'm like, always super focused. <laughs> so somebody comes, I'm working in my cabinet shop, and someone comes in from the church, a brother I knew, and says, hey, do you have a key for the room down the hallway? And I said, no, I don't. He left my cabinet business. I totally lied to him. I had a key. I just didn't want to take the time to go open the door. So I'm sitting there just like we were reading about the guy on the trolley, wrestling with my conscience. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I had to go find him and search him out. And I said, I got to tell you, I just completely lied to you. But I'll tell you what. In so doing, it set my heart free from further deception. Right there. Those kinds of confession, though, that kind of honesty and being willing to admit wrong. Let that come out of my mouth and the work that happens in my heart is beyond measure if I'm willing to do that. And we need to be willing to personally confess jealousy or envy or hatred or anger. And then we also need to speak, be speaking forgiveness. I need to, out of my mouth, I need to be forgiving others who have sinned against me. Those are not easy things, but brothers and sisters, that's the life of walking in the truth given to us in his word. There needs at times to be loving, humble confrontation. There are times when out of my mouth needs to come the truth about what's going on here. Now, Paul gave to Timothy the guidelines for this, which are fantastic. He said, verse 23 of chapter 2, 2 Timothy, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if, listen, God perhaps will grant them repentance, 
so that they may know the truth, come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. See, we are to enter into these times of when what we're speaking is gentle. It's, we're seeking to be teachable, to teach people. But we realize, as someone said, hey, when you're going about these things, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we want to go humbly to others at times, and what comes out of our mouth is the truth of what's going on. We're not going to get into all kinds of disputes and arguments, but we are going to seek, as they certainly to approach those things humbly and to speak the truth and try and work someone through it. Why? The goal is that they come to their senses, acknowledge the truth, and escape the snare of the devil. The devil is the father of all lies. Now, the second thing that came to me in this passage is I want to be seen to be more than I really am. I want to be seen to be more than I really am. So why? Why would they? It says, notice verse 4. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Peter said, verse 9, to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Why did this thing happen? Because Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be seen to be like Barnabas. They wanted to be seen as being generous. But that's not really what was in their hearts, and our hearts is who we really are. How did that happen? They acted on those desires to be seen to be more than they really were. So they acted on that, that, that deceitfulness. Now, it's interesting in verses 12 through 16. And though through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done. This is pretty amazing, this whole thing. People getting healed left and right. People putting their, their, their sick people in the shadow of Peter. So Peter just walking along as the sun's out and that shadow falls and they get healed. I don't know what's going on here, but it's pretty amazing. But the thing that, that I was thinking of, when we see God using others very powerfully, that can begin to impact our hearts in envy and jealousy. Jesus was crucified because they were envious of him. And so the three truths about living life that this passage exposes, the, the second one is I want to be seen to be more than I am. But listen, I know that you deal with this, and I do too. When we see God using others, when we see what's happening in other people's lives, we see the power, even like Simon Magnus that we'll get to later on in Acts, he sees the power of the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'll give you money, let me buy that. And Peter said, your heart's not right with God. These things of envy and jealousy can creep in. And we can begin to live lives Filled with envy and jealousy. So here's what I, as far as I want to be seen to be more than I really am, here's what came to my mind as I was reading this, and I love this. To see in people examples to follow, not exceptions to fault. Barnabas was a man who genuinely gave all of his, sold it and gave it, as did many others. Ananias and Sapphira, on the other hand, as contrast, they didn't want to give all that they, the proceeds. They didn't want to be like that, but they want to be like Barnabas and be seen as like him. And so they had this whole thing that happened of hypocrisy and deceit. There are going to be many times when there are people that rub us wrong because they're walking in the truth. Because you see God maybe using them. Because you see their sincerity and honesty. And it can begin to work on our hearts. And so the thought for me here is jealousy and envy breed contempt and fault finding. Oh, I want to be like Barnabas. But then they got found out. And all of a sudden, you know, you can start to say, well, I'm not. I can't. How come I'm? And I said here, Lord, help us to see these for what they are. They're my fault. They're my pride. It's my foolishness, not them. You see, we can learn from just about anyone. We can learn from just about any situation that comes along. We can learn from their experience, and we can learn from their lack of experience. We can learn from their successes, and we can learn from their failures. We can glean instruction and wisdom from good and bad. Had Ananias and Sapphira lived and repented, they would have been a great voice of truth in how not to do things. So I said, Lord, please help us. 
We do ourselves a great disservice to write off a person or write off a group or write off an organization for one or two things that we see in judging our hearts when really it's my problem, not theirs. Most of the time, I do it and don't even really know them. In essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. There are some essentials where there must be agreement. But there are a lot of non-essentials, and I have found in my life, it's usually the non-essentials that cause the problems because of my attitude, how I see things, how I want to be seen. The truth is, we can learn from just about any if we're willing to get past ourselves. There are things that people we can learn from. Maybe they operate differently. Maybe the church is different. Maybe the, the government's different. In, I'm telling church to church. Maybe this person does things differently, and I look at it and go, well, you shouldn't be doing it that way. You see, honesty and the life of truth will seek to know them. We'll seek to listen to them and learn from them. There's brothers in our church here that I totally disagree with doctrinally in some things that are non-essentials. We did a series of studies through the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is steeped in some pretty deep doctrine. And we had a team of five guys, and three of those guys that, that I was teaching those, that study with were completely different in some of the things that are non-essentials. So we get together every Saturday. We say, here's the passage that you're going to be teaching, brother. What do you think? And we talk about our differences. Not essentials. Hear me out. Non-essentials. It was the most powerful building time of my relationship with these brothers that I've ever experienced because we were different. And we're listening and learning and seeking to to acknowledge, yes, yeah, you believe differently, but that's okay. God's using you differently. That's okay. I just want to learn from the things that you've, that, that you, for who you are. Now, the third thought for me was I do not want to deal with any more than I have to. I don't want to go through suffering. I don't want to have to experience any of those kinds of things. So in verse 17 through really the rest of the chapter, here we have the response of these leaders to, to these men who are preaching the gospel. I think it's somewhat comical. Here you have in verses 17 through 25, the guards were carefully guarding an empty cell. These powerful leaders gathered together to judge prisoners they did not have. And while they're in a frenzy as to what happened, the apostles were preaching in the temple. That to me is quite comical. But see, that's a picture to me of the freedom of the gospel. God did not set the apostles free to run for the hills. He did not us set us free to run for the hills. He sent us and set us free to preach the gospel. And with that is going to come trouble and disappointment many times, difficulty with people, difficulty certainly in this world. And really the natural inclination, I don't want to have to deal with any more than I have to. I'll, I'd like to escape those kinds of things. They go and stand in the temple and in public declare the gospel. He said, speak to the people all the words of this life. And the gospel is the reason that they were set free. And it's the reason that we ourselves have been set free is to preach the gospel. And to live the life of truth. And much of that is our lives as witnesses to a world that needs salvation. They were his witnesses. But it tells us they were never alone. It says, and we are his witnesses, verse 32, to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Obedience is key. Seek to obey God more today than you did yesterday. That's the answer. I don't want to deal with any more than I have to, but listen, the answer is to seek to obey God more today than you did yesterday. To give ourselves to obedience because God always backs up obedience. He's given his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. It's not that we're purchasing through our obedience the Holy Spirit. No, but the Holy Spirit is engaged in obedience in our lives, not disobedience. So as we obey God and we seek to obey him more today than yesterday, never be afraid to stand with the minority which is right, for the minority which is right will one day be the majority. 
always be afraid to stand with the majority which is wrong. For the majority which is wrong will one day be the minority. Praise to Jesus for that. He's going to establish his kingdom. On John Knox's tomb, it says, quote, Here lies the man who never feared the face of man. They were so in love with Jesus and so zealous, none of these things moved them. They were beaten. And by the way, that word means to be skinned. And we think, well, they were beaten because they didn't want to do anything because they feared the people. Well, they said that word there, they were beaten, was not a pretty word. They went through tremendous, like skinning them. It was, it was lacerating them in what happened to those apostles. Not fun. Someone said, when told, quote, all the world is against you, reply, then I am against all the world. That's what we need, and that's what the life of truth will have. They were furious, verse 31. And plotted to kill them. But listen, you have to give them credit. They lived out their convictions. They thought they were so right. And they lived it out. And there are many in other religious circles where we have to say the same thing. You have to give them credit. They lived out, they're living out their convictions. They believe what they say and they're going to do what they said. They're going to live it out. Verse 40, they agreed with him. Gamaliel, and when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they depart from the presence of the council. This is amazing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Some have said this. If you live hard for God, life gets easy. If you live easy for God, life gets hard. And that is true. Only a deep love for him rejoices in being counted worthy to suffer shame for his name's sake. It's a conviction that transcends living a good life, even a moral life. It's the conviction that manifests a supernatural life. That is the life of living the truth. Someone said a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. That's the truth of these apostles. They wouldn't change the subject. There's a story of a very learned man who did not believe the Bible, yet he would go and listen to Spurgeon preach. His friend said to him, why do you go to listen to him? You don't believe what he says. The man replied, you're right. I don't believe what he says, but he believes it. That's zeal. That's what motivates. They, we believe the love of God for us. We believe the gospel is the only means by which people can experience the love of God as he would have them. John Wesley was once asked how he got the crowds. He replied, I set myself on fire and the people come to see me burn. Are you on fire for God? You see, it's only in living a life of truth that you will be. Getting honest with God, the real deal. Allowing him to speak into our hearts his word. And then to speak from our mouth the truth and live that out. So seek to obey God more today than you did yesterday. There's nothing else you can do about yesterday. But you can move forward today, tonight. Billy Graham said this when addressing the Urbana Conference several years ago. What will you be like as a Christian 10 years from now? Many will be walking with Christ and serving Him in various capacities around the world. But for others, there will be a tragedy because 10 years from now, They'll have lost their burning zeal and love for Christ. Not necessarily because they wanted to or because they set their heart in rebellion against God's will, but because they set their life by the world's agenda. Then Christ and his great commission gradually begins to dim. Brothers and sisters, God's called us to a life of truth, to walk in the truth and to believe the truth and to speak the truth into our hearts. And speak the truth with our mouths. May we respond tonight saying, Lord, I know that as a believer. I know that this is so true. And Lord, would you please search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Would your Holy Spirit, by the word of God, begin to search in the motives of my heart. And show me. And not to get all deep down in these things, but the Holy Spirit in our relationship with God will show us these things if we ask. And we get honest. Over the last three or four years, because of things in my own leadership, 
I've had to get real with God about some of my attitude and some things that have built up on my own heart. And that's something that we're going to have to continually ask the Lord to help us with, to be people of the truth. Now, would you, pray, would you bow your hearts, believers in the room, your heads and pray? Because as I said, the first thing that needs to happen for anyone to know the life of the truth is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, and you want to get that right with God, the first thing you need to do is come to Christ honestly and sincerely, knowing that you're not right with God and getting honest with God about that, knowing that what He's declared in the Word and in the Bible and in the Gospel is true, that He is who He claims to be through the resurrection, that He died on the cross because you needed your sins forgiven and you couldn't pay the penalty yourself. So there's just three things I'm going to ask. First, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up. Secondly, just to stand up. And then to make your way to one of the tables on the side where you can pray with someone about this most important matter in your life. So if that's you tonight, and you need to get right with God by being saved, and ask you to slip up your hand. We're going to take a time every time we get in the Bible to give what I call a Jesus call. You're not coming to an altar. You're not coming to a person. You're coming to the person of Jesus Christ. Because he alone can save you. And you don't have that assurance. You don't know if when you die you're going to go to heaven. You don't know that. You can know that tonight. And the urgency is so important. Because without Christ, you will not know God. And Jesus said, if you don't, will not confess before men, he will not confess you before his Father. You have not asked him as a choice. So if that's you, just slip up your hand. I want to acknowledge you tonight and say, yes, okay, I see that hand. You've never said yes to Jesus until maybe tonight for you. And we're praying. Anyone here? And as we continue now, we're going to sing this song, and as we've been doing, we're going to do this through the first eight chapters. As we're singing that the song, you're seated now, and I will come also just to stand before the Lord. And tonight, at least part of what we need to respond to is our hearts before him saying, Lord, please give me that truth abiding in my heart before you. I want to walk humbly with you. And then as we're singing, as the Lord would prompt you just to stand and say, Lord, this week I'm going to spend time with you reading my Bible and praying. And each week we're going to just make this commitment because we need to remind it every week so that we're, this week we'll be doing chapter 6. But you're going to just stand and say, Lord, I am yours this week because I need time with you so that you can speak into my heart and I can respond to you as we're talking about hearing and responding. So can we do that? Yes.